Well, we're going to continue in the summer series here of messages um, called the Summer of Songs. We're going through the different psalms of the Bible, not all of them, of course, but uh, a few choice ones. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2, and uh, which is known as a Messianic psalm, if you did not know, a psalm that speaks uh, of Jesus. Now, we know for certain uh, which psalms specifically speak of Jesus because the New Testament clearly tells us. And this psalm is quoted seven times in the New Testament, and each quote refers to Jesus. So, thus, it's a Messianic psalm. It's also known as a kingship psalm. Now, this psalm was most likely used to celebrate the coronation of a new king. And this kingship psalm reminds us that we have a king who is to be listened to and obeyed because he protects us and provides for us. Basically, all kingship psalms answer the same question, how do I respond to the rule of God in my life? How do I respond to the rule of God in my life? And that's the question I hope rings in your ears today. How do you respond to the rule of God in your life? Imagine what would happen if we had an advertising agency to market Christianity. What would they focus on, you think? I think they'd probably focus on forgiveness as a free gift from God. They'd probably focus on the debt of sin that has been paid for us. Uh, probably also, too, the fact that all it takes is to confess your sin. It's as easy as ABC, admit, believe, and confess, right? And so all those things could be easily marketed. And that would be the focus, probably, in, in uh, marketing Christianity. And it would be true advertising for that way of life. But it isn't the whole truth, though, is it? There are a few other scriptures to consider, such as Matthew 10, verses 37 and 38. says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then also Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25 Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23-25, through 25, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And then Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So putting God first, making the sacrifice, denying ourselves, carrying the cross, running the race, counting the cost, losing our lives, that's another side to Christianity, isn't it? Uh, that, that side is not as easily marketable for, for everyone. Everyone wants Jesus who is the Savior, the one who pays the price. Not as many people want Jesus who is Lord or King, the one who calls us to follow his rule. How are we going to respond to the rule of Jesus? How are we going to act knowing that Jesus is Savior and King? That's what this psalm is all about, and I trust that you'll consider the answer to these questions as well. 
as we continue in this message. Now, as we look at this psalm, Psalm 2, I want to acknowledge Warren Worsby's work in outlining Psalm 2, which was a great help in, for, for me in communicating the message of this psalm. And you'll notice that it, it contains 12 verses, and they naturally divide into four sections of three verses each. Pretty neat, neatly packaged. And each section, we can hear a different voice speaking. And so as we go through this psalm, those different voices will be revealed in each of those sections. Now the first section, in verses 1 through 3, we see the voice of the nations speaking defiance. The voice of the nations speaking defiance. Verses 1 through 3 says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. You know, by nature, by nature, we can be a very defiant group. Uh, some of you remember President uh, George Bush Sr.'s comment about broccoli. He once said, I don't like broccoli, and I haven't liked it since I was a little kid, and my mother made me eat it. Now I'm president of the United States, I'm not going to eat any more broccoli. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter too much if you're rebelling against eating broccoli. But the problem comes when we start rebelling against the one who created broccoli. The defiant ones don't acknowledge the king of Israel because they don't acknowledge the God of Israel. One principle about the kingship psalms is that in the days of the psalms, the king of the nation represented the god of the nation. The Egyptian king ruled in the name of the Egyptian gods. Uh, the Babylonian king ruled in the name of the Babylonian gods. And the Israelite king ruled in the name of Yahweh. When nations went to war and armies were captured, the victory was seen as a victory for the nation with the most powerful god. King and God went together. <laughs> When you stood against the king, you stood against the God of the king. And the kings in Psalm, in Psalm 2 were doing just that. They were standing against the Lord and his anointed. They wanted to be their own boss and didn't want the God of Israel to reign. You know, not much has changed in 2,500 years, has it? Uh, we like being the boss, don't we? We like being the boss. We don't like to be forced to do anything. Anytime you rebel against God-given authority, you are rebelling against God. Anytime that we say, I know what the Bible says, but we're going to battle against God and Jesus. As defiant people, it's at the very core of our being to rebel against God. Our hearts are just like the hearts of those earthly kings and rulers described in verse 2. We hate God, we hate his rules, his standards, his word, his church, his saints, and sometimes we don't even pursue his will. Defiant people still don't want the rule of Jesus in their lives. For some, God is seen as nothing more than a long-armed policeman who is just waiting for you to step out of line so that he can give you a ticket to hell. Why should I follow all these rules anyway, people might, might ask. They were written to a different generation, right? We're more, we're more enlightened now, right? We need to give people more choice to express their individuality, right? Basically what people are saying is that they want all the choices without any other responsibility. 
This rebellion causes the psalmist then to ask the question, why? Why? And it's not a question that, that he would want answered. I don't think he's expecting a reply. He asks the question because he's astonished at how people treat God. The God who gives us life and sustains us day by day. The God who would, through his anointed one, make possible the forgiveness of sins and the certainty of eternal life. So the psalmist asks the question, why then would human beings engage in anything as useless and time-wasting as trying to throw off the rule of God in their lives? The idea here is of a stubborn and raging animal trying to buck off the, the saddle and, and break the straps that bind the saddle to its body. All its attempts are futile and are in vain, because real freedom comes not from resisting God in our lives. Real freedom comes from submitting to God and doing His will. Like many people today, they have a wrong understanding of what it means to be free. Freedom is not total independence. Freedom is dependence on the one who can set us free. Thomas Huxley, you may have heard of him before. He was an evolutionist, uh, an agnostic. He was known as Darwin's bulldog. Um, he said, a man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do as he likes. Pretty interesting coming from an evolutionist and an agnostic. A man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do as he likes. Well, let's not just depend on an agnostic for some advice here. Let's look at God's, look at God's word as well, too, about what God's word says of, of freedom. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, says, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So, serving God, serving others. True freedom is not found outside of God, but with God. You know, a kite is only free to soar into the sky and loop around because it's attached to the string. Without the string, it would soar away and, and, and crash to the ground, finally. As long as the kite is attached by the string, the controller can help that kite achieve incredible things. You know, if these people mentioned verses 1 through 3 have one thing in mind. It's rebellion. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles, they say. You know, these people are making a declaration of independence and have, to, have no desire or time for the things of God. They claim to be masters of their own destinies. Now, ever since Adam and Eve declared their independence of God by choosing to ignore his advice, humankind has been in rebellion against God. Every person has a natural inclination to say no to God. Verse 3 reminds us, they see God as someone who shackles them by what they consider to be religious rules and regulations. But the psalmist knows better. He says all their rebelliousness leads nowhere. It's, it's all in vain. It is ineffective. It's unproductive. 
As they stand in defiance, they expect God and Jesus just to leave them alone and not make a fuss. (laughs) But Jesus is going to make a fuss. And he's going to make quite a big fuss, as uh, we see here next, which brings us to the second voice in this psalm found in verses 4 through 6. The voice of God the Father speaking derision, mockery, basically. Derision. Verses 4 through 6. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my, my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I can remember when Anthony and Jameson and Zach were little guys. They, you know, six, five, and two, I believe. And, and we would have wrestling matches in the living room. Now, this is down in Salem, so you couldn't quite picture it here in this room. <laughs> it wouldn't quite work. We had an area down in Salem in our house that uh, was rather fairly large. And those boys were a lot smaller then. But uh, when they were little guys, they would try to wrestle me down three against one. And wrestle me down to the ground and, and try to get me to, to submit and, 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 and conquer, conquer me, I guess. Well, I was a little bit too big for them. And they always wound up uh, being defeated. Um, they couldn't budge me and they would always lose. It was kind of a laughable thing. And there were moments where I would start laughing pretty hard at, at their attempts and trying to, trying to get me to the ground and, and, uh, and get me pinned. But God also, too, laughs in derision, mockery. Now, I'm going to be using that word a lot, derision. You're going to be hearing this a lot right now. So derision is a great word. It might be the word of the day for you. But God laughs in derision when anyone, including the representatives of the nations, think they can stand victoriously against him. He mocks them. He, he, you, know, you think you're so smart? You will see. <laughs> and God laughs. He scoffs. He ridicules those who think they are so powerful, and he has had reason to laugh many times during history. Take Pharaoh, for instance. Remember his stubborn refusal to let God's people go? Never will the slaves be allowed to leave, he claimed. And God laughs because he knows that after the tenth plague, Pharaoh will be more than willing to have the people leave. (laughs) Satan with, with Judas in Luke chapter 22, verses 3 and 4, it says, when, Then Satan entered Judas, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. Now, Satan thinks that Judas's betrayal will lead to the removal of Jesus for good. How wrong he was. And then Diocletian. Uh, you know, in, its, in, it, in the first 300 years of the Christian church, They endured repeated waves of of persecution, but most likely the worst came while uh, Diocletian, uh, emperor of Rome, was around. And convinced that the Christians were conspiring against him, Diocletian sought to annihilate them throughout his empire. So history records that he ordered entire towns to be massacred. But as verse 4 recognizes and shows us here, the one who rules in heaven is sovereign over the wicked, and he will have the last laugh. Uh, Back home in Diocletian's palace, his own wife and his own daughter were turning to Christ. And after his death, a new emperor by the name of Constantine, Constantine took the throne, and he became a Christian. Constantine became a Christian, and Christianity eventually became the favored religion of the entire Roman Empire. All of Diocletian's uh, plotting was in vain, 
and long term, uh, in long term, he was unsuccessful and ineffective. It, it didn't last uh, as long as he hoped it would. You can't pull the wool over God's eyes. God will laugh in derision when he, when we forget that uh, he has ultimate control. And you know, there are ways that we also too can cause God to um, uh, laugh at us as well in the same way. Some of us cause a laugh of derision by ignoring God's commandments. We don't want to live the way God asks us to live because it's too difficult. There are times when we think God's way is a little outdated. It was good for people back then, but uh, we are a little more enlightened right now. We want to follow the ways of the world instead because this is much more exciting than following God's ways. You know, so we cause, we, we cause derision upon us by ignoring God's commandments. We also, other times we cause a laugh of derision by taking God for granted. We pray when we don't really mean it. We fail to live as a community of believers. We fail to meditate on the Word of God. We don't take the Word of God seriously. That's what happens when we do life our way and take God for granted. And what we need to do is change our focus and remember that in all circumstances, God is still on his throne and always will be. God can handle anything and everything. <laughs> Nothing is too great for him. So we can have real trust in him, which means we don't have to fear and we don't have to worry. Whatever we're going through, the big stuff, the small stuff, God is in control of it all. And when it comes to his control, he takes his responsibilities very seriously. Which brings us to the next voice in our text in verses 7 through 9. The voice of the Son speaking a declaration. The voice of the Son speaking a declaration. Verses 7 through 9. So I will proclaim the, the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Yeah, recently, there have been uprisings all around the U.S. Uh, and, and what do all these people want? They want freedom. They, they want to have the right to have a say. They want to be heard. They want that democracy to work like it should. We live in a world that idolizes democracy quite a bit. The right of the people to be involved in the decision-making process. People want to have a say. Which makes it hard at times for us to accept the ways of God. We want to have a say. <laughs> when our kids were young, really young, they really wanted to have a say in things. Especially when it came to the rules and the consequences of not following the rules. <laughs> obey or experience the consequences of wrong actions. That's basically what needed to happen when they were little, little guys and little girls. At that point in their lives, it wasn't a, a democracy. <laughs> they needed to follow and obey. God declares that life is not a democracy and that life is to be lived in response to God's demands. Getting out of that and following your own way gets you into big trouble gets you into consequences that you really don't want to pay. 
Listen to the voice of the Son, declaring the decree of the Lord, proclaiming his right to be king. Verse 7, I will proclaim the, the decree of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. And that was part of, of, of God's promise to King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised David an eternal dynasty. He tells David that his offspring would rule forever. Then God says of each of those offspring in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So whenever one of David's descendants became king in Israel on his coronation day, he took on the title Son of God. That was because God promised to be a father to all of David's successors on the throne. And here in Psalm 2, the king reminds us of that promise. He reminds us of God's decree, today I have become your father. And by the way, Jesus was proclaimed the Son of God as at his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. Paul quotes this, this, this psalm in Acts chapter 13 when he speaks of Christ's resurrection. And that was Jesus' coronation day. He is king, and Jesus wants us to know that for certain. When Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, he was claiming to be none other than the King of Israel, God's anointed King. And here we find that Jesus is not only the King of Israel, he is the King of the world. And all of the nations belong to him, even to the ends of the earth. And he will crush any who rebel. He will smash them to pieces. In Egypt, the Pharaoh used his scepter to smash clay jars that represented rebellious cities or nations. And that's the picture we have here in this scripture of a king putting an end to any rebellion against his rule. Listen to his voice. He is king and he will crush any rebellion. In his book, Six Hours, One Friday, Max Lucado, great author, I love his books, love his writings, he describes some of the pathetic views people have about Christ. Listen to what he writes. He says, for some, Jesus is a good luck charm, the rabbit's foot redeemer, pocket-sized, handy, easily packaged, easily understood, easily diagrammed. You can put his picture on your wall, or you can stick it in your wallet as insurance. You can frame him, dangle him from your rearview mirror, or glue him to your dashboard. His specialty? Getting you out of a jam. Need a parking place? Rub the redeemer. Need help on a quiz? Pull out the rabbit's foot. No need to have a relationship with him. No need to love him. Just keep him in your pocket next to your four-leaf clover. For many, he's an Aladdin's lap redeemer, lamp redeemer. New jobs, pink Cadillacs, new and improved spouses, your wish is his command. And what's more, he conveniently re-enters the lamp when you don't want him around. <laughs> For others, Jesus is a Monty Hall redeemer. Now, that will take some of you back to the let's make a deal days. And he says, all right, Jesus, let's make a deal. For 52 Sundays a year, I'll put on a costume, coat, and tie, hat, and hose, and I'll endure any sermon you throw at me. In exchange, you give me the grace behind pearly gate number three. <laughs> and then there's the rabbit's food redeemer. The, the Aladdin's lamp redeemer. Or, excuse me, the rabbit's foot redeemer. The Aladdin's lamp redeemer. The Monty Hall redeemer. Few demands, no challenges, Max Lucado says, no need for sacrifice, no need for commitment, sightless and heartless redeemers, redeemers without power. Wow. <laughs> but here's the thing. 
that's not our Redeemer. That's not Jesus Christ. He is the Sovereign Lord. He is the Sovereign Lord with all power. He is King, and He will crush any rebellion against His rule. In the day of the psalmist, the Son was the King, and the one who ruled Israel. For us, today, the Son is Jesus, the one who rules for all eternity. Now, how we respond to the Son makes all the difference. It's not a democracy It's a monarchy. Ultimately, we are ruled by a king. God says from the heavens, My anointed has been instilled on my holy mountain. Christ has overcome death. He's overcome hell. And Christ has earned the right to be the ruler of the people. Christ has been given the honor of sitting at the right hand of God, and he demands all respect and all authority. That is the declaration that we hear in this portion of Scripture. Whether we like it or not, God always gets to have the last, He always gets to have the last say, and He has declared that His Son is to be followed and obeyed as well. You know, many people know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But when, when, when people talk about Christianity, John 3.16 is the verse they focus on the most. But just two verses later, we also read the following. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. God has put a plan in place for the salvation of his people, but he will not take lightly to those who ignore that plan and live their own lives. There comes a point when we need to decide where our allegiance lies. Which then brings us to the last voice in our text, verses 10 through 12, the voice of the Spirit speaking decision. The voice of the Spirit speaking decision. Verses 10 through 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the voice of the Spirit. He takes note of all that has been said, and he observes that the wise man or woman should learn a lesson from this. He observes that there is a warning here for all people, and then he observes that there is a message here for all kings and all rulers. And and this is the application part of of the psalm, and the application is pretty clear. First of all, there's the application to be wise because you have been warned. Be wise, because you've been warned. Remember the question from the the beginning of of the psalm? The question of why? Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Don't they realize they are doing battle with the Lord? Don't they realize that the victory of Christ is assured? Don't they realize that there will come a time when Christ will come with power and every knee will bow down? Why? It's useless trying to resist the rule of King Jesus. 
Either you do it now or you will be forced to do it when, when he returns. One way leads to an eternity with Jesus and the other doesn't. Be wise because you have been warned. And there's another application here. Serve the Lord because you have been saved. Serve the Lord because you've been saved. The psalmist has shown uh, that Jesus is king, so we are to serve him. And we can serve him in, in, in our jobs. You know, we, we shouldn't work for just the big paycheck. We should work to serve the Lord. In all that we do at our work, it should be glorifying to him. You know, we shouldn't work for our own glory, our own advancement, our own promotion. We should work for the glory of God. And so when people see us at work, they should be seeing Jesus. They should be seeing how he acts, how he speaks, how he responds to certain things. We can serve him in our jobs. And the psalmist has shown that Jesus is king, so we, we are also to serve him in our homes. This says something about the kinds of books and magazines we read, the things we scroll through on our, on our, our phones, and uh, what we are looking at on Instagram and Pinterest and, and any other social media thing. What catches our eye and what are we drawn to? It says something about the kind of programs we watch on TV. And it says something about Bible reading and prayer. This says something about the way we go about our marriages and the way we raise our kids and the way we treat our parents. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord at work. Serve the Lord in your homes because you have been saved. And there's, there's another, a third application in this. Kiss the Son and find refuge in Him. Kiss the Son, S-O-N, and find refuge in Him. Now that phrase, kiss the Son, implies paying uh, homage to Him, showing affection to Him, showing courtesy and, and surrendering to His rule. God the Father has a perfect right to be angry with rebellious, sinful people, but He is willing to receive them graciously if they submit to the Son. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and you you will be destroyed. You you will be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's a story told of a man in Haiti who wanted to sell his house, and another man wanted to uh, very badly, in a deep way, buy that house, but because he was poor, he couldn't afford the full price. So after much bargaining. The owner agreed to sell the house for half the original price with just one condition. He would retain ownership of one small nail located just over the front door. After several years, the original owner wanted the house back, but the new owner was unwilling to sell it to him. So the first owner went out, found the carcass of a dead animal, and hung it from the single nail he still he still owned. That was his nail, and it was staying there. So he owned that nail, and he could hang that carcass wherever he wanted. And soon the house became unlivable, and the family was forced to sell the house to the owner of the nail. <laughs> and the point of the story is this. If we don't surrender all of our life to the control of King Jesus, if we give him all but 
one small nail, then Satan will hang his rotting garbage on it and make us unfit for Christ. By kissing the Son, we are showing him honor and we are showing him reverence. We may not always get it right, but we can keep on trusting and live in hope. Psalm 2 starts with a world in conflict and people in confusion, and then it ends with people who are secure and safe and blessed by God. Everyone watching here today and everyone listening here today and everyone you you meet this week is, is between one of those two points. They're either in conflict and confusion or they're in security and safety. So if you are secure and safe and blessed in God, remember in prayer those who are not. They're all around us. And they are, they are suffering. They need answers. They need hope. Pray that you can be the messenger of that hope and peace. And if you're someone who is in conflict and confusion with God, the good news is you don't have to be anymore. <laughs> you can move from the from the conflict and confusion to the security and safety found in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him, who trust in Him. I encourage you to spend some time praying about your need before God. As I close in prayer, if you needed to take some time to just let Him know where you're at, let them know what you need. Let them know your concerns. Maybe confess to him what needs to be confessed. Allow him to be Savior and King and Lord of your life. Surrender to him in this song of surrender, submission of Psalm, of Psalm 2. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I just pray for those who are listening and watching today. And Lord, that if there's someone here that is dealing with that issue and, and situation of conflict and confusion, I pray, Lord, that they can know the, the security and safety in you. They can know the, uh, the hope and, and the peace that you bring in a person's life. Lord, I pray that if there's someone listening today that does not have a relationship with you, they've only heard about you, or maybe they've heard about others who, who call themselves Christians or followers of Jesus, but they have not yet taken that step themselves. I pray, Lord, that they'd realize today is the day of salvation for them, that they can just, they can pray to you, confess to you, and, 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 realize that you are the one who can take away the sin in their life. And so I pray, Lord, that they would send up a prayer in that way and that they would have full assurance of what they've, what they've done, what they've prayed. And Lord, I pray that they would also, too, have someone that they can tell, that can, they can let others know the decision that they've made to follow you. I also pray, Lord, that you'd be with that person maybe today that is also uh, living in that security and safety. Lord, I pray that you'd bring their way people who need to hear about that, who need to hear of the hope and the peace that can, can uh, be brought into their lives through a relationship with Jesus. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would remind them um, that they, those who live in the security and safety of a relationship with Jesus, that they can, they can be that messenger. Help us all, Lord, to be the ambassadors of hope and peace to those around us. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Help us, Lord, to express that to others. Help us, Lord, to let others know. Thank you for your message today. Thank you, Lord, also, too, for this song of submission that we've looked at in Psalm 2. And I pray, Lord, that we realize that submitting to you is the key of life. And we need to submit to you, and that's the key to that blessed and abundant life. Lord, thank you that you are God that can be trusted with our lives, be trusted with our future and our desires. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. We love you, Lord, so very much. It's your name we pray. Amen.